We're the last philosophers. Everybody now that talks is reading from a pre-approved script. You know, even our alleged smart people, you know, are, are corporately controlled. You know, so there's only one group of people that kind of say what they want to say. Stand-ups. Well, hello everyone. Welcome to Struggle Session. I am your host, Leslie Lee III. As always, I'm joined by my co-host with the most, Jack Allison. How's it going, buddy? <laughs> oh, it's going just fine. Uh, uh, how are things going with you? Oh, going good, going good. Excited to be here on this episode of Struggle Session. This is an emergency public episode brought to you by Blue Wire. Thank you so much, Blue Wire, for your support. Thank you, everyone who listens to the show and subscribes at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or struggle session.substack.com. You help us pay the rent, pay the bills. Be sure to uh, rate us and subscribe us on iTunes. Does, is that still a thing? Do you still have to go on iTunes and like give I, people I, five stars? I, I have no idea, but I, I, I know that people ask for it still. I don't know if that's just out of habit or if that's still useful, but but do it either way, everybody. Get out there and, and rate the show on, on iTunes. Uh, go on Yelp. Uh, make sure to like us on MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> And today, Jack, we are talking the Oscars, the glitz, the glamour. That's right. Yes, the biggest night in Hollywood. Uh, very, very exciting night uh, for for all the wonderful filmmakers out there, and to celebrate the, the the greatest achievements in filmmaking, and also one very exciting reality television show moment that overshadowed every single one. Every of the single thing, and rightfully so honestly like it was deserved it was deserved it, it should have been the spectacle was was frankly i think the most interesting uh part we were actually doing a live uh, call-in show and thank you so much to everyone who joined us on that show and who listened in but we all kind of decided like yeah we gotta call it early. We wouldn't be watching this. It was unfortunately too boring. It was too boring, and I left the house, and then people texted me about the Will Smith thing, and so I was like, well, I guess I better get home and watch, you know, when he gives his acceptance speech, because that'll be pretty wild, and uh, you know, I think that's why I think that's why it did well in the ratings, is because this moment happened, and everyone was like, shit, I guess I better watch the rest of this fucking thing. 60% increase from last year, now still pretty far down. Yes, it's like funny it's like oh, the ratings are way up it's only the second lowest rated academy awards in history before we get into the slap and the celebrity and the spectacle let's get into the movies because i watched a good bit of the best pictures nominees and jack i believe you watched all of them i watched every single one that's right that's the true film right there, Jack. Hey, listen, you know, I love I love Hollywood's Biggest Night, and I had to be fully prepared for Hollywood's Biggest Night, and so, you know, watched every single one of them. Honestly, like, three weeks maybe before the Academy Awards, I looked at the Best Picture nominees, and I was like, oh, I've, like, seen most of these already. Might as well just round out the last couple. Yeah, just finish out the last few. So let's go through the list. We'll do it in alphabetical order. First up, Kenneth sure. Branagh's Leave it to Beaver in the Troubles uh, semi-biopic. Belfast, 
I'm a fan of the Kenneth Kenneth Branagh star studded Agatha Christie uh, movies. You know, I am I do like watching Kenneth Branagh's uh, turn both directing and starring as Hercule Poirot. Um, so I went into this with a little bit of a soft spot for Kenneth Branagh to begin with. You know, I guess for me, I'm like in the first like five or 10 minutes, you see like the start of the Irish troubles kind of happening. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Like I kind of would like to see a movie about, you know, this, you know, event from on the ground. And that's kind of interesting. Maybe I'll watch the movie about this. It's really not about that. It's really like kind of a ultimately like boring movie about like a little boy falling in love with a little girl. And, and it's kind of about how his family didn't stay there for the troubles. You know what I mean? Like I kind of in the first part of the movie was like, okay, I want to see this story. And then they just literally leave town before the story begins. That's not even to get into like the pretty weird politics of it, which I, I, I don't even Rana like, you know, think about because, you know, this is an autobiographical thing, but you know, the, the climax of the movie is them being saved by, from like an evil, you know, looter uh, by like an English SWAT team, you know, like descending on this guy with tear gas and everything like that. So I don't know, kind of a cute movie, kind of just like a trifle. I feel like, okay, cool. I'll put it right back there. Yeah. I mean, kind of like a trifle of a movie, you know, really felt like smaller than I expected it to be. It really takes place all in this like one block of like a back lot. It looks like. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, was not my favorite movie. I think parents really like this movie, so maybe this is one to watch. You know, if your if your parents are bored and want to watch something, you know. But uh, I w- I was not that excited by Belfast. Yeah, this is a thing. Something that like a parent would probably describe as like magical. Something like that. You know, makes them think of the <laughs> good old days. But yeah, uh, the politics very weird, and this plot and the stakes actually extremely, extremely low. It is a pile of romance between two yeah. children. Like, who cares? Like, that's a subplot in a movie, not, like, the plot of a movie, and, like, there's no real conflict because it's like, of course this family is going to follow their mil- upper-middle-class aspirations and move. Like, what is the, like, like, what takes them so long? Get the fuck out. Like, like I don't know... It almost feels like it's, an, and again, I, I like Kenneth Branagh, but it almost feels like him, like, making an excuse for why he left Belfast. Like, he's like, no, like, my parents wanted to, but, like, I was kind of being like, I don't want to leave, you know, um, which, whatever. It's fine, though. Whose parents would care if a five-year-old, like, didn't want to move? <laughs> like, come on, come on. But a, a, yeah. but not a, a terrible movie or anything, but like you said, kind of a trifle, something, to, a one and doneer. Yeah, this one felt to me like very much like a traditional sort of best picture nominee you know but uh like in the way that some of the rest of these uh do not really yeah but it did feel the most traditional but it was very like bloodless for one like like there's no real like conflict or drama or real edge to it it's like a pg version of oscar's movie speaking of geez best picture winner oh my god yeah I was astonished when I watched when I watched Coda. I was shocked. You know, I will say, you know, the the core of the entire thing is kind of around the the deaf parents and these scenes, you know, that are entirely in sign language and the acting that they're able to do, you know, with sign language. And I did think that the parents, you know, were good. You know, Marley Matlin and Troy Kotz are you know are able to carry a scene. Yeah, I thought his win He's was great. deserved. Me too. Me too. But this movie. 
is not does not consist only of the scenes with the deaf parents. There's also this entire plot line about like that's so Hallmark movie about like this teenage girl and her like wanting to be a singer and her breathy voice and her, you know, extremely corny like music teacher. Like I was astonished by when I watched this movie by just how Hallmark movie it was, how bad it looks. You know, Apple doesn't know how to make movies yet. And and I actually think it's like pretty indicative of the state of movies that the cell phone maker company, you know, made a movie that is like a Hallmark movie was not even released in theaters. And that takes best picture. Like this really is a good indicator of where we are in the film industry right now yeah i mean and it's not like a is a bad time watching the movie but it is a hallmark movie it's not a very serious movie especially at that core with you is just like a white girl singing poor, poor renditions of soul songs not endlessly yeah. for like the first half of the movie and you have no idea why it why you're watching these scenes some of the reviews pointed out that like when the when the uh when the deaf parents go and see the performance they're you know somewhat you know baffled and a little bit bored but that would be absolutely anybody's reaction to those like a high school <laughs> musical performance at, again yeah. extremely white school singing all these soul songs and like poor renditions of them the like the woman who like does the hip-hop covers in her shower like that level of like winding up so (laughs) so songs and it just it just does not work at all like when she starts singing as Janis Joplin like okay that's in your warehouse do some Eagles do some Fleetwood Mac you know I don't know why it had to be like Motown and I don't know I don't know why this one became the favorite other than Jane Campion sticking her foot in her mouth. We'll talk about Power of the Dog. I'm not the biggest fan of Power of the Dog, but it definitely felt more like an Oscar-y, you know, movie to me. Um, Coda winning uh, it was, was shocking, was shocking to me. All right. So next up, Don't Look Up. I actually really enjoyed this one. I thought this was really fun, a fun rap. I think it got, you know, the point it was trying to get across. I, for a long comedy starring you know leonardo caprio and like jennifer lawrence not people i genuinely think i generally think of as particularly being funny i i had a pretty good time it being in like the top 10 movies of the year somewhat shows to me like how weak this is this is this film to me actually felt like uh the david duchovny movie like evolution Kind of, in a lot of ways. You remember that one? <laughs> like the kind of ghostbustery. Yeah, I do remember that movie, and I remember kind of liking that movie, too, actually. You know, uh, for me, I, I don't hate, hate, don't look up. I, I kind of wish that it had, you know, d- decided a little more concretely what genre it was. I feel like, you know, there are sequences that are that feel serious, and then there are sequences that feel very goofy and funny. And I kind of, honestly, I kind of wish that it was just a hard comedy. And I do think that, you know, DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence are a little bit miscast, you know? Um, but again, uh, it's not like something I feel passionately about. And I, and I, you know, and I, and I appreciate honestly that they were able to make a big satire like that. And that it is just like, you know, a, a big long satire that, you know, is, it doesn't bore me, you know, for the, for the kind of long running length. Um, I just think it might've been stronger if McKay had decided to just go full comedy with this one instead of this kind of weird, you know, uh, I don't know, serious director guy, middle ground thing. 
but you were talking about long movies. Drive my car. Yeah, that's a long one, but I it did not feel it to me. It really did not. I'm a fan of Drive My Car. There's some really interesting storytelling stuff in Drive My Car. If I was actually going to hand out, you know, a best the best picture just based on I think the quality of the movies, I would go Drive My Car. I haven't had a chance to watch it, but just skimming through it, like it seems obviously like the best movie in this. It it just yeah. looks it looks stunning. Um, and it's a serious movie for adults. Maybe it's three hours long, but it seems like a pretty entertaining three hours. And there are lots of things going on. It has. Kind of, I've re- read the summary. I'm, I just haven't had time to sit down and watch it. But it seems like a really cool movie. I passed it up initially because I felt like I had seen enough Japanese long Japanese movies about like divorcees or widowers. <laughs> like you know, that's like a very yeah. big genre there. But this one looks pretty dope. One thing I found really interesting about it, you know, and different, I think, from like Western storytelling is that these characters have conflict, but so much of it is like internal and the the like source, uh, uh, you know, and explanation of what that conflict, that internal conflict is, is like used as a reveal somewhat like later in the movie. So it like informs kind of who, who these people are and why they, you know, have been this way throughout the entirety of the movie versus American storytelling where you always have the conflict conflict, you know, laid out sort of very, very clearly, you know, for the entire movie. And then we sort of explore, you know, what that conflict is doing to them. I I thought it was an interesting way to sort of tell a story. And they do it with multiple characters uh, in the movie. Up next, Dune. Now, we did a whole episode about Dune. I don't feel very differently about it. No, listen, I, I, I think I maybe like Dune a little bit more than you do. Uh, my biggest sort of complaint with the VNF Dune is that it's not a complete movie and it doesn't have an ending. And I don't think that that was really a necessary thing to do, you know, to cut it into two parts like that so that the movie ends basically like if Avatar had ended when Jake Sully met the Na'vi. Um, what I think is really interesting and weird, what funny about the, the Dune nomination is it really strikes me as the Academy trying to do this thing where they're like, we have 10 nominees, we're going to have have a slightly more popular nominee in there and it really just shows how sort of disconnected the academy is being i feel like dune is in there because they're like oh we want to have movies that people actually went and saw or whatever and i'm like you know honestly just fucking nominate spider-man you know if you're gonna do that like don't do the like goofy ass people didn't even like really see dune that much and like normal people don't really care about dune but i feel like that's why it's in there is they're like you know oh we'll not we're not going to be so pretentious We'll nominate some movies that are popular, like Denny Villeneuve's Dune. Um, I don't know. I I, that, I agree with you. It doesn't really feel like an Oscar-y movie, and I think it's just in there so that they could try to like juice the ratings a little bit, which is so misguided. King Richard. I actually sure. really loved King Richard. I thought it was a very, very good like biopic. I thought the story was actually kind of cool and inspirational. Even with it ending on the fact that like the like we're celebrating like an endorsement deal. The end text is like and then they made seventeen million dollars. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, isn't it more like that they became like the biggest tennis players in the world? But whatever, sure, yeah, they made millions of dollars too. Just watching it, you could just feel like yeah. the love and the passion and the that delusional belief you have to have in yourself in order to succeed. I thought it was a beautiful movie. Yeah, I, I, I liked it. You know, I think it kind of just strikes me as a very biopic-y biopic. And biopics, like, kind of all have, like, a similar, I don't know, like, look and feel to them in a weird way. Like, I, I, that's not that's not really to, like, 
to, you know, be negative about the movie, you know, I just feel like it felt very like a biopic. But I do agree with you, you know, that the story of the Williams sisters was very interesting and, you know, is inspiring in its way. And it's not a story that I knew. And I probably wouldn't have picked up like a book biography of the Williams sisters. And so I did. I did enjoy myself watching this movie. Will Smith's performance, I think, is good. The thing I think is very funny about it is they do the biopic thing of like showing you know the real guy uh during the credits of the movie and while he does have an accent it's not really the accent that will smith is doing like will smith does a kind of weird different accent um but i did think he was good in the movie and you know and and again like you know kind of like don't drive my car although i think drive my car is way better this has a long runtime, and i found myself just drawn into it i just started it kind of being like maybe i'll finish this later and just found myself watching the entire thing yeah it sucks you in it's a good time at the movies i i recommend checking out king richard if uh, if you skipped it like most people did all right licorice pizza i tried to watch this in the best way possible that for watching a, you know paul thomas anderson movie at like 2 a.m on a saturday night and i gotta say i basically every negative thing i heard about this movie turned out to be true and i really it, it was not a bad movie but like it's kind of pointless and i really didn't understand like why was this the perspective that why were we watching the story of a 25 year old or 28 year old woman dating a 15 year old boy and that being like the actual point of the movie like a real romance i almost thought the last scene was like a dream sequence but that doesn't make sense because there's a point in the movie where they both realize that they should have nothing to do with each other and move go on with their lives that's the end of the movie there's another 15 minutes where the grown adult woman decides she actually does not want to hang out with the ne- with uh, like politicians and other adults. And the teenager decides he actually wants to be in love with a girl who he has already called an old woman to her face. It's such a bizarre choice. Like there's it felt like there were so many other interesting things, ways to approach this type type of coming of age story. But like you don't see any of the cool stuff from the era. You just see follow these kind of two losers who like are just kind of not that interesting. I I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't have a horrible time watching it. But at the end, I was like, man, like that could have been way better. It could have been something much more interesting. I have no I had no interest in seeing that as like a romance. That was just very strange. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm a big fan of Paul Thomas Anderson. And, you know, when I first saw this movie, I I really was kind of at a loss. I, I was like trying to convince myself kind of that I liked it. I was like, I must have liked it. You know, I went to a screening in L.A., you know, where very oddly Tom Hanks went to the screening. So I watched Licorice Pizza a couple rows behind Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson. And I, I really did try to convince myself to like this movie. Um, I, I'm not really as big of a, I don't really care quite as much about a lot of the discourse <laughs> that people had about the movie. Like my take on, you know, the, yeah, I didn't care either. I was really actually like that, surprised it like, that it, it turned like, out to be kind of fair. I just didn't like it very much is really what I've like come down to in the end is that I think PT, you know, you have to afford him a trifle, uh, I guess, you know, and, and I just didn't really like this movie very much. I don't think it like comes together in any way. 
say. I don't think it has a lot to say other than like growing up in the Valley in like the 70s was cool. Maybe it was. PT had to make a movie during COVID and this is kind of the movie that it was. And um I think it's absolutely. I think it's the worst Paul Thomas Anderson movie, in my opinion. You know, uh, even though I think there are some cool sequences in it, I think that you know a lot of what it does well, he's done better in other movies. And um, I, I just was not all that impressed by 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 Licorice Pizza. And I, I have to admit to myself that that it was a disappointing movie for me. Yeah, disappointing. I like there, like pieces were there. I liked the cast. I liked I liked like 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 I liked Haim. I liked uh, who's that? Philip Seaver. I Hoffman, don't necessarily so. love him. I don't think I like him as much as I think Paul Thomas Anderson likes them. You know what I mean? I think he's very smitten. I've never seen a director as horny as much. for an actress uh, as uh, this movie, but I thought she was, you know, okay with it. I wasn't wasn't offended by like just the the idea, but like the there was a point where they realized, all right, we shouldn't hang out anymore. And then maybe I like that movie a little bit better. But when it comes back towards the end, it just was it baffled me. I, I, I think even if that had, hadn't had been the case, I just wouldn't have liked the movie very much because, I don't know, aside from like some sequel, I think Bradley Cooper is actually very bad in it. I think he's always pretty bad, but I thought he was especially, you know, kind of very like HBO Will Ferrell comedy in this, you know, and I thought it was kind of goofy. Uh, you know, I think that he's done a surreal uh, offbeat love story better uh, in Punch Drunk Love. I think he's showcased like the valley and love of the valley better in like Magnolia and Boogie Nights. Um, I don't know what new was being done with this one. And it just really does feel like, you know, he had to get a movie out. Like, you know, he says in interviews, he's like, I was writing something else and I started writing this one for fun and it kind of just came together. And I'm like, yeah, it kind of does feel like this was not like a, a major work, you know, but you know, I guess it's what he made during COVID. And so that's life. Well, speaking of Bradley Cooper, Nightmare Alley, a remake of a much, much, much better film. No idea why this movie exists either, really, to be honest with you, uh, other than, you know, Del Toro kind of wanted to make a movie without any monsters or creatures or anything. I wish there was like a vampire squid or lady or something in it or a a fucking demon or a Cthulhu something because this movie was like dull baffling and just very like i don't know it just felt very phony and awkward because it was trying to copy the style of that old school noir i actually like nightmare alley and maybe it's because i haven't seen the original and don't know it that well um i'm not normally a bradley cooper fan at all uh but i found him like the most forgivable that i think i've ever found him in this movie and yeah i don't know i definitely was drawn in by the carny carnival stuff in the beginning i kind of liked the noir twist and turny kind of thing I, I don't know i just found myself uh, maybe i need to watch the original but i i just you know this is one that i watched all the way through like in one sitting and you know was surprised at how much i liked it you know because i really don't like bradley cooper that much and while i did you know foresee the ending coming a little bit i thought it was executed well and uh yeah i'm a fan of guillermo del toro and i i kind of enjoyed this one. Oh, i couldn't stand it and i couldn't stand now, the fact now, that bradley cooper was playing a 27 
eight-year-old man in this movie. Yeah, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. And was being seduced by the older woman, Tony Collette, who was only two years his senior uh, in real life. Baffling choice. <laughs> he literally is being called the kid for the first half of the movie. And then there's a time jump of two years where like all of that goes away, but it's only like a two-year time jump. But now he's like the age he actually is in real life. It's very, very strange choice for him in this role. It felt like someone else was supposed to be in it, and someone was. It was supposed to be Leonardo DiCaprio. I, I definitely don't think that the age stuff works, but I, I enjoyed the movie. I don't necessarily think it fits as like a Best Picture nominee for me, but I... Uh, had a good time, and uh, I like Guillermo del Toro. And I actually liked Crimson Peak quite a bit. I, I and I was th- expecting this would be more of the same because that was much closer to a drama with not very much supernatural stuff happening in it. But man, from now on, I just want to see monsters from him. He's got to get at the mountains of madness <laughs> done and stop fucking around. Okay, I don't give me bring back Hellboy something. I don't want to see any more him trying to do drama. And moving on to our. Our next nominee, Jane Campion's The Power of the Dog. Western that's not a Western movie about sex with no sex in it. (laughs) Um, Benedict Cumberbatch playing a rugged American cowboy who is as repressed as the film is itself plays a, you know, a bad uncle frankly. Um, this is probably one of the most anti-uncle films uh, in recent memory, and he's a real jerk to his nephew, and I actually don't want to get too much into the plot, because I actually think the first half of this movie is kind of this plotting prestige drama that's very unconvincing and not that good. But the second half is a pretty decent thriller, with a nice twists and turns that you might see coming, you might not. I would actually recommend going out and watching Power of the Dog and powering through the first, the dog first act. And then you get to the real stuff. Then it actually becomes kind of a fun uh, movie. I don't think it should be an Oscar contender necessarily, but it's a it, w- it would be a much better if it was just like a 90-minute thriller. Benedict Cumberbatch, I think, is not a very good actor, you know, and I think that this movie invites a lot of comparison to There Will Be Blood. It does have the sort of additional, like, queer elements to it, although, like you said, there's no sex and it's all sort of just implied. Which um, is, I have to man, say, like, is cowardly for 20... 20- uh, 21. I mean, we had, I mean, we had Ang Lee's um, Brokeback Mountain like 20 years Brokeback ago. Mountain, like you can't yeah. show like a sex scene. Which, by the way, like, come Bro- on. Brokeback Mountain um, really feels a lot more Western to me. You know, I, I, I ultimately, I, I do think that, you know, there is an inauthenticity to this film. Um, it's shot in New Zealand. <laughs> yeah. New Zealand doesn't look like the American West and, and it is somewhat distracting. I didn't really ever get the sense of like what their farm does. Like this, there's this guy, he's like, you know, you know, he's like gone to good college and stuff. And why are they going to burn all of the, um, all of the hides? I never really got an explanation for that. He's also like in his fucking cowboy Halloween costume for the entire movie. Like he's wearing the chaps for the entire movie. Apparently cowboys only wear chaps when they're on a horse. And this guy is in his chaps. There's one time, there's a scene where they wake him up in bed and he is like waking up from being asleep for the night and he's still wearing his fucking chaps. Like, I don't know. Uh, I think 
they're trying yeah. to get across that he is like a fake cowboy. Like this is based on a novel. I actually have to check out the Could novel be. because I feel like the these are things like you would put in a novel. Like you would have a guy who like even though he's extremely so, educated, he would like st- he would stay at a ranch and wear you know chaps all the time. And also just in general, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch can only do one American accent, so he really was just doing the Doctor Strange voice for this movie, which is like a modern New Yorker guy. It's not like a like gr- you know. Gris- old cowboy kind of person even if he's faking being a cowboy now leslie i will say i did read the book the power of the dog but it was because a friend uh intended to read the one the movie was based on and actually got a book that was uh another book that's titled power of the dog so i read a book called the power of the dog that's about a dea agent and the drug trade in mexico and stuff like that which was pretty good but has nothing to do with this movie at all that's hilarious my friend got the book and was like you know i meant to get the other one but this one actually kicks ass and it did it's about like you know people trafficking like cocaine and shit and, and like a dea agent and it's a lot of fun but i i do give a thumbs up to power of the dog that one's worth checking out it's not the greatest thing uh it does have some beautiful shots in the beginning but actually i thought it was just a lot better when it just became like people being like shitty to each other i'm not a fan of power of the dog but uh i you know i it, it for me when it was like favored to win best picture it made a lot more sense to me as like the kind of movie that would win best picture that i'd be like oh how annoying that that movie i didn't like very much won but you know it made a lot more sense to me than like coda winning but that's what ended up happening so jack i didn't watch this one i'm probably not going to but tell me about west side story uh, I think it's literally a masterpiece. <laughs> I love West Side Story. I think that Steven Spielberg, you know, his style of direction is is highly choreographed and balletic even to begin with. Um, so it makes perfect sense, you know, for him to, you know, do a movie musical. Uh, I, I love the movie. I think it's a masterpiece. It's another Spielberg masterpiece. And um yeah, I, uh, I I think it's maybe better than the original, um, and it's got great performances. And I have wa- rewatched a lot of the numbers, you know, since it's come out on streaming. And uh, I'm I'm a fan of uh, the Spielberg West Side Story. All right, so Jack, we weren't very happy with these nominees. Let's you know name a movie or two that we think actually should have been Best Picture. For me, for me, I think probably really Scott's The Last Duel. I think it was, I really enjoyed the movie. That was very well done. Even though I, I hate um, fucking Kylo Ren. I think he's awful. I hate, I hate him more every time I see him in anything. And his career is just taken <laughs> off. So I really hate him now. But I genuinely enjoyed the movie. I thought it was the type of movie that they gave Oscars to. Like it seemed like exactly yeah. in that, in that frame. Um, but they just kind of mostly ignored it. I think it's because it wasn't a huge success and things, you know, I know West Side Story wasn't as well, but maybe they only have room for one unsuccessful movie in the best (laughs) picture category. Uh, I didn't see it. I didn't see it, but I I want to actually. I have it on the Plex. I just haven't made time to do it yet. Uh, I saw the the House of Gucci as my Ridley Scott of the year, uh, which I understand was not, not the right choice, but... I had a yeah, lot of fun with know. that one too. That I kind of did too. I mean, it's it's not like a all time great picture, but I was like, is pretty funny and yes. like campy. You know, uh, it's it's not a bad time. Uh, you know, I, there are worse movies to watch than House of Gucci. Another one where the real story is just so crazy that it was kind of interesting to see and not something that I knew about before seeing the movie. You know, 
Um, for me, I think I would have to go with, since they now nominate foreign films in the best picture category, I'd have to go with Titan or Titan, whatever they, however it's pronounced. Uh, the movie about the, uh, the woman who fucks a car and that is... That's literally the thing, you know, that's kind of like the way everybody calls old the island that makes you old or whatever. That is the thing that happens in like the first 15 minutes of the movie. And the movie just gets much, much crazier than that. So it's not even a spoiler to say it's about the woman who fucks a car. Like, that's just like the inciting incident is her fucking the car. Uh, but I enjoyed that movie. I think Julia... What's her name? Sorry, Julia yeah, Ducournau is a is a good director. I liked Raw as well, and Tatane, you know, could might be one of my favorite movies of twenty twenty one. Unfortunately, it didn't get a theatrical release, but but Zack Snyder's Justice League, you know, uh, although it was honored, it was honored in the fan the fan vote section during the uh, broadcast. Uh, Flash entering the Speed Force was of course honored. They are not actually awards; they're not actually Oscars. They're called they're called like hashtag. It's literally called just a hashtag. You win the hashtag competition uh, yeah. for you know most uh, cheerworthy fan moment. And, you know, popular movie or whatever. And people assume that, oh, these were the bones that they were throwing to Disney so that they can keep showing the Oscars on ABC. Uh, and instead, the fucking Snyder fans just took over both of these, of course. giving of one course. to Justice League and the other to Army of the Dead, which isn't even that good, but it was eligible, so they <laughs> gave it to it. It was Snack they Snyder. Won. They had his they back. Won. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I, I like it. I, this year's Academy Awards, we should also just talk about the broadcast itself, you know, which was like massively cut down. They removed a lot of the awards. This this year's Academy Awards felt very self-conscious to me. It was very, very, you know, ratings focused. Um, and while they did end up like succeeding and doing better in the ratings, I don't think it's because of any of these choices that they no. made. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It just felt very, it felt a lot less, you know, prestigious this year um and and all the self-conscious bullshit that they did like i think really hurt the awards and i do think that they should be a little bit like they should be a little pretentious you know what i mean like throwing in this weird like number one it's not going to help the ratings to throw in a really weird little like 30 second montage of like popular moments from movies like people aren't going to tune in to watch like 10 seconds of the flash enters the speed force and all it does <laughs> is like make the academy awards look more like the fucking mtv like you know movie awards yes. you know like i i think they need to go back to it being a big long boring broadcast if they're even going to fucking do this you know but in my opinion i'm like 25 years from now i don't even know if the academy awards like exist or or, or are aired on television or if even television exists. Yeah, it's like, how many comedians do you need? Why do you even need one stand-up comedian? Why do you need jokes? It's supposed to be an award ceremony. I think that's the main takeaway I have from the slap incident. Will Smith going out there saying, keep my wife's name out your mouth to Chris Rock and slapping him just give it with perfect form too a perfect performative <laughs> slap not you're not trying to hurt someone you're not trying to really start a fight you could you're pretty sure they're not gonna do anything back you're just giving that slap and then you walk walk away just like how dare you sir how dare you and then the slap i thought that was like pretty funny uh people are freaking out about it. i don't see what the big deal is just like perfectly engineered to hear the most 
horrible takes from people if anything like if anything we can take solace in that like it is just a take machine and everybody very dutifully you know took to online to to spout some of the most crazy shit i've ever seen you know in the aftermath of this television moment Judd Apatow uh, basically gave Hillary Clinton's super predator speech about Will fucking Smith. Okay, Will Smith, generally known as one of the safer black men in America. Uh, Judd Apatow, I think Judd Apatow's reaction was actually more unhinged than like going up and slapping somebody. Like if you see someone get slapped and that's your reaction is like, this is like an animal. Like come, I take it down a notch. He already had to kind of apologize. Yeah. Part of his apology was the fact that oh i actually didn't wasn't watching the show and i barely pay attention i just saw it out of context got a context that makes it worse actually do you think that there's this really weird thing that stand-up comedians have about their role as like truth tellers or something like that and i think that you know there's been a lot of stand-up you know needs to be protected speech kind of stuff especially from people that are like involved in comedy and everything like that but so, yeah, the reaction from the comedians was very strange because I thought all of them had become like BJJ, like tough guys. I thought like they were daring people to come up and slap them. But most of them were making like these weepy Andy Kaufman speeches about like how this is the worst thing that could possibly happen to a comedian. Like, I don't know. I think worse things probably have happened, like being having to host the Oscars. Like if you gave me a choice <laughs> at the beginning of the night, either you can take one slap or spend the next three hours trying to get over like uh, Zelensky jokes, I guarantee you would probably take the slap. I don't know why anyone takes the job of hosting the Oscars because all that happens is you do a bad job and then everybody just talks about how bad a job you did. Um, you know, the the three hosts of this are lucky. In fact, everyone's pretty lucky that Will Smith did what he did just because now there's no talk about anything other than that from the Oscars. None of the rest of the embarrassing shit gets any mention at all just because that's one of the most wild moments. You know, Chris Rock was right when he was like, this is the greatest night in the history of television. I was like, that is you know maybe my take too is that like wow that what great tv uh we got to witness um yeah so i opened the show with a little clip of chris rock talking about the role of the comedian as the last philosophers because everybody else is corporate controlled except comedians it's from a documentary which is actually pretty decent called dying laughing and it's actually about uh comedians talking about dying and bombing on stage and like how horrible uh it could be and how and to me it actually seems like from watching that movie and that description like getting slapped would be like m much preferable than to having to be a stand-up comic and uh, oftentimes like chris rock he gets sympathy now he's gonna get like promotions they're gonna do like a super bowl commercial with will smith and chris rock at some point like i think yeah, he's I gonna get saw, a boost I from it too. the comedy store here in la has a big led sign out for advertising free speech night and chris rock's face is on it and it's like the comedians of la support you chris that kind of shit kind of doesn't seem like he particularly like cares that much you know like he he didn't he didn't uh he didn't press charges he did say it was like the greatest night in the history of television like there's so much like sort of whinging about like what if chris rock had fucking been killed by this or something and it's like he doesn't seem like he kind of seems to like 
I mean, we haven't heard from him yet, but just in the moment, it kind of seemed like he was like, whoa, that's crazy. <laughs> and like, wasn't like, holy shit, you, how dare you, sir? How dare you do that to me, sir? Like, I think he was just like, wow, that's fucking wild television. <laughs> and Will Smith didn't slap Chris Rock, okay? Chris Rock didn't write that joke. Chris Rock wasn't telling that joke. He was hired to tell that joke. Will Smith, and Will Smith didn't get up and slap Chris Rock. It, these are characters. This is TV. This is spectacle. This is the character. This is pro wrestling, baby. AEW. <laughs> yeah, the character Will Smith slept the character Chris Rock, and the character Chris Rock kept going because that's what he would do. The fact that he was even, like, able to keep going and that he got slapped and, like, basically was just like, whoa, kind of makes me feel like the slap wasn't that, like, hard yeah it was a performance it was a performative I mean, slap no it was for the I tv think we cameras be all going around slapping each other and shit like that but it was not it was even it was more for jada even than the tv than the tv cameras i'd say uh before we get off the air i do want to mention briefly the built rewards launch party new york city mayor eric adams along with cara delavine asap rocky Mm. And Floyd Mayweather were at a (laughs) launch party, shit you not, for a credit card. This is the mayor of New York City with Cara Delevingne. You can look this up Mm -hmm. and you can see that she's having a good time. Dancing with Cara Delevingne. Cara Delevingne is just kind of dancing by herself. She is very uh, jigged up, I would say, next to our tough on crime mayor, like in the same picture, obviously. Fucking coked up celebrities with the mayor for a, it gets better than that though, for a lunch launch party for a credit card that gives you points when you pay rent with the credit card. Oh man, I didn't realize the rent part. I just thought it was a reward system. It's the, it's for paying rent in, in debt. Yeah, pretty grim, pretty grim stuff, pretty grim stuff their party and it's in the new york post and while at the same time he's ordering homeless encampments like bulldozed and you can see videos of this and videos of him dancing with cara delavine same day but 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 leslie they could theoretically apply for a credit card and pay rent on credit uh if they if they have a good enough credit rating so you know maybe 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 they won't need the encampments anymore if if uh if they can kind of get their credit scores up you know Folks, that was Struggle Session. Have a good one. Peace.